The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Well, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, We told you we'd have another podcast later on in the week, and uh, so we do with a guy who has added another award to his, uh, his, I don't don't know if you want to say it, his, uh, his trophy case or, or wherever you want to put it. And he's back from vacation. So we welcome back Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. Congratulations to the latest Florida sports writer of the year. How are you? Thank you, Neil. I'm good. Uh, re- rested and ready to go, I guess is the saying, right? I'm in the, the best typing shape of my life, and uh, we'll, we'll go from there. No, I appreciate your uh, congratulations. Uh, always always humbling to be honored by your peers, and this is a peer-voted award. And I guess in my case, I would say I would add it to my bookcase, being a writer, rather than my trophy case. All right. Well, the book has trophies on it, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's well-deserved, and we're very excited for you, indeed. Um for you, uh, this is a, an interesting time of year. Um, I would say, and, and I think I've talked about this with Dave and Andy, too, on previous podcasts, that the Rays are much further along now, not only in terms of the fact that they won 90 games a year ago, but much further along in terms of their overall roster look for opening day now than certainly they were at this time a year ago. Yeah, I would agree with you, and, and certainly with Dave and Andy, because you have to agree with Dave and Andy, or they make fun of you on the radio, but... Um, <laughs> They are further along. It's been an interesting offseason and certainly something we'll explore and ensure on your podcast and, and, and I will in print as well. But, you know, they went into this offseason saying they felt like they had the core of their team pretty well set, yet it's been a pretty active offseason. I mean, it's kind of come in, in drips uh, along the way here, you know, something here, then a week later, something else, things like that. But it's been an active offseason. But I do think with the addition of Avisel Garcia, they are pretty much set. I mean, I don't think he ever can say the Rays are done, but I think they're pretty well set. If they have a group that they could run out there and, and feel pretty good about if you know everybody gets through spring training uh, uninjured and, and nothing surprising happens. So uh, they are further along. It, it's an interesting fit. There's a couple pieces that you know I think you wouldn't have anticipated mm-hmm. um, being gone and being added, and, and then we'll see. I think if nothing else, Kevin Cash will have uh, myriad options. Uh, in assembling a lineup literally on a daily basis. Yeah, you know, I get asked a lot, especially with the Garcia edition, okay, what is the race lineup going to look like? And I really feel that on a daily basis it's going to depend, A, whether they're facing a righty or lefty, and sometimes even what kind of righty or lefty, because... You know, I tend to believe that this will be about as deep a group as the Rays have had in quite a while, where whatever 13 players they have on the roster, there's a feeling that all can contribute in some way, shape, or form, offensively, defensively, or running the bases. Yeah, I mean, realistically, outside of the the catcher, you know, the catcher position where, you know, someone will clearly be, you know, tagged to start on certain days and someone will be clearly the backup, but otherwise, the other 12 guys could pretty much be interchangeable and could play almost every day as they substitute in for each other during a game. And I think that's part of uh, this plan here is that, you know, when a team shifts pitchers to be able to have other guys as opposed to, you know, you have your starting nine or ten and the other guys just play once in a while, I think you're going to see maybe even more of an NL-style usage where these guys get in almost every day. And uh, there are going to be a lot of options. I mean, Garcia is an interesting example. I mean, I think the commitment, the way I understand it, is he'll play – against left-handers, but he'll be kind of competing for at-bats against right-handed pitchers with some of the other Rays right-handed hitters to see what the best you know group is, the best 
uh, number to put in the lineup that day. And, and it sounds to me like getting him probably makes it a little more challenging, assuming health of everybody, for a guy like Guillermo Heredia to make the opening day roster. Would that be fair in your mind? He does yeah, have I options. Th- yeah, I think he's probably the guy most affected by this. I mean, certainly, you know, Austin Meadows is being given a really good opportunity, but he's going to have to show, you know, over the course of spring training. And, and uh, you know, always not in terms necessarily of his spring training batting average or his spring training OPS, but, you know, his work and, and you know, the, the fundamental type things that the Rays are looking for. But, yeah, I would think that um, – Heredia uh, is the guy who could lose his roster spot or certainly have his role limited by this. And part of that is going to depend on all this flexibility that the Rays have. You know, what are they going to do with Brandon Lau? Uh, how much do they want to consider using Joey Wendell in the outfield if they needed to? If Heredia is not on the team, I mean, things like that uh, as they piece this all together. So it will be interesting to see. I mean, I think, you know, some years you kind of know who the 13 are, and then if somebody gets hurt or not, I think this year it might end up being 15 or 16 and that they'll pick the 13 out of that. Mm-hmm. And, and what I also see, Mark, is that, um, you know, while it would have been nice to add a reliever at some point this offseason, they had, you know, a fair amount of experience in the race, still may very well do that, but the price of, of relievers continues to go up, up, up. Um, even though Kimbrell hasn't signed, Ottavino gets three years, $27 million. Cody Allen gets an incentive-laden deal for one year and $11 million where you know he wanted definitely to be a closer somewhere. And everybody else, it looks like two, three years, eight, nine, ten million million, $10 million a year. I mean, the price even at, a, I think uh, Andrew Miller was like about $12 million a year. I mean, the price of relief pitching in the open market has been a lot higher than I think a lot of people expected. Yeah, and yeah, we saw that last year too. Remember the money Tommy Hunter got? Mm-hmm. People looked at that and, and said, you know, wow, that's crazy. And it's kind of continued. Uh, what, what I think you're going to see here, Neil, and I think it actually works out perfectly for the Rays in a way, is they're just going to slow play this and let let some more of these guys come off the board at, at these kind of crazy high prices. I mean, Cody Allen, I, I he probably got double or more than I would have thought he would have been, uh, you know, in in line for given the year he had last year, but. I think the Rays just let this go. I mean, they could start the season with what they have. I mean, it would be a little risky in that nobody's really has that been there, done there, com- been there, done that comfort that I think you know you probably like to have for a team contending, where you don't want to run the chance of running a couple of the young guys out there early in the season. They have a couple of bad games, and confidence becomes an issue. But I think that at some point, the Rays will have the opportunity that one of these guys wants, as you alluded to with Cody Allen. He wanted to close some more. Well, there's going to be some other guys out there that want that opportunity, and the Rays may be the only team left that can kind of give someone that opportunity to say, you can log up a bunch of saves here, come here on a one-year deal, we're not going to give you a ton of money, but we'll give you the opportunity. That opportunity has some value in cachet. And it's going to be interesting to follow that, as well as development of a lot of guys we'll get to over the course of uh, spring training, whether it's Ian Jabot, Colin Poche, the advancement of Jose Alvarado, Diego Castillo, etc. Um, in, in composing that raised bullpen, which I think has a chance to be very good over the course of the year. Now, as we look a little bit closer, uh, what's coming up is the Hall of Fame announcement on the uh, 22nd, on Tuesday. Um, and you're going to announce your ballot to the public over the weekend with your column. You want to give us a little sneak peek? And how difficult was this? Because I've seen a lot of arguments that there are up to 17 guys who you could have really made a strong argument for among the 10 spots you have available. How difficult was this year for you as a voter? 
Yeah, it's interesting. In a, in a way, this year was challenging because, as you say, there were a number of guys, and you know, whether however you look at it, let's say somewhere in that 14 to 15, 16, 17 range of guys, certainly worthy of, of serious consideration. Uh, but on the other hand, there were enough guys that have moved off the ballot in the last year or two uh, that I think you know it's kind of opened it up a little bit, so to speak. I mean, you're allowed to vote for up to 10. That's one of the issues that, as Baseball Writers mm-hmm. Association, we have asked the Hall of Fame to allow us to vote for more, to remove that limit. I mean, it's only only people get in are the ones that get 75% or more of the vote. We've even asked them about a binary vote where you just vote yes or no on every person on the ballot and then let the results fall where they may. They've stuck to the 10-player limit. So it does get interesting, and you even have some people, I, I don't do this, I don't like people who do do this, but who actually manage their ballot. I mean, if, if Mariano Rivera ends up not being unanimous, which certainly merit-wise he deserved to be unanimous, who wouldn't vote for Mariano Rivera? Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any question. It could be someone who was, you know, wanted to really make sure that their vote for, you know, let's say Larry Walker, you know, they wanted to get Larry Walker on their ballot, so they didn't put, Edgar, uh, didn't put Mariano Rivera on their ballot because they wanted to manage their ballot that way. I think you vote for the guys you think the up to 10 that are most deserving. I did vote for 10 this year. I do have a couple surprise additions. Uh, I guess we can go ahead and break a little news here. I did vote for Edgar Martinez for the first time, and I've got some interesting, uh, I think, interesting reasons why, which I will uh, detail in the Times. Uh, it'll appear over the weekend online in Tuesday's paper. Uh, there were some other guys worthy of debate. Um, I did also vote for Larry Walker for the first time. So okay. it's going to open some things up, and, and uh, from the X-ray standpoint, as I've done all along and have done all 10 years and, and would continue to write that he deserves the honor is Fred McGriff, of course, and, and locally Gary Sheffield, another guy that I voted for. Bonds and Clemens? Once again, I did, and, and that always is a point of controversy. And this year, some years I've released my ballot, as others do when I mail it, and just put it out there and, and uh, usually get uh, told how dumb I am and stupid I am and terrible of a person I am on Twitter. But I decided this year to hold off, and we will uh, release the ballot on the Times website and uh, the explanations as well. I hope that you know people will go in and read it and just understand that when there's this many people that are potentially deserving, there's not a right or wrong. It's just your your lens at which you look at it. I mean, personally, uh, my thought process, and you mentioned Edgar. Let, let me ask this. When you see a guy like Harold Baines get in, and I liked Harold Baines as a player, but I didn't see him as a Hall of Famer, does that color your view on, hey, Edgar's to me, was far better as a hitter and far more complete as a, an offensive player than, than Harold Baines. Well, if Harold's in, Edgar's got to get in. Does that impact your thought or, hey, that's the Veterans Committee, I don't even consider what they do? You know what, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you, and this is part of what I'm going to write for Tuesday, Neil, is I didn't think it would impact me, and, and I was obviously very surprised. Harold Baines is a guy that never got more than 6% of the vote during his time on the ballot from the writers. But it did impact me, and I, I did kind of wrestle with that question and we we have this conversation all the time we talk about the hall is you know if you were going to take your grandkids or your your grandkids are going to go in 30 years how would they understand that the greatest player this isn't in or this guy's in and this guy isn't but I, i did wrestle with that question and you know if harold baines is in how would Edgar Martinez not be in? And that, mm-hmm. that did impact my thinking. I, I didn't think it would, but it really did. And and from a, um, you know, you mentioned guys are, are this good. Obviously, we I think we've talked about Bonds and Clemens a lot in the past. What's your take on the whole steroid situation? Is it if they got caught, you wouldn't vote for them? Because that's if I were lucky enough and fortunate enough to vote, as you do, um, and the, the members of the association get to do, to me, that's my take. A, a guy like Bonds and Clemens, is, is, whatever I, I feel about them, um, you know, Pettit got caught. 
Uh, Manny Ramirez got caught. They had to pay a price for it. And to me, A-Rod, same thing. If if they were up for battle, that, that's how I would look at it. But I'm kind of curious your take. Do you have a set way, at least at this point, of viewing you know the, the potential PED situation for any player? Yeah, I mean, a couple things on that. You know, one is that you know, I don't think anyone can profess to know. And mm-hmm. anyone who does profess to know who has taken, what they've taken, is, is not being sincere because no one really knows. I, I think we could all safely bet that there are people already in the Hall of Fame who have used Correct. Uh, steroids. Not just PEDs or greenies back in the day when it was common and there were jars of them sitting around clubhouses as we've heard the stories about. But currently, I mean, in the last five, six elections, seven elections, whatever it is, I'm, I'm confident to say we've elected people who use them and just were never identified as such. But I do draw a squiggly line, and it, it is squiggly, and I don't know in a better way to put it. But, yes, I, I kind of – what you said. I People that are caught when they knew it was illegal, when they knew there was testing, and then got caught, I will not vote for. So, thus, no Manny Ramirez, despite you know believing he might be arguably the greatest right-hand hitter uh, of this era – and uh, no Rafael Palmero. I don't vote for Sammy Sosa. That one's a little part on the squiggly part, but getting caught with the cork bat, as well as all of the PED issues that he's been involved in, uh, I don't vote for him. But I do vote for Barry Bonds. I do vote for Roger Clemens. And, and I understand people, some staunchly disagree with that. And I understand, you know, there's also other people who say, we don't know, just vote for the best players. It's not a shrine. It's a museum. It's a historical museum reflecting uh, who was the best? Who were the best players in the game? Not a cathedral for the people who had the best intentions or best morals. Yeah, and and I'm with, and that's kind of where I kind of would draw the line on on allowing Bonds and Clemens. It's museum, um, regardless of what you think of their personas or um, what you know. It's what they weren't caught at the time with something that we don't know exactly what they did. We don't know. You know, we may have suspicions, but there's suspicions. And again, it is a museum. Um, I'd, lo- I'd love to move it closer to. Uh, to a larger city where more people could see it, as beautiful as Cooperstown is, but uh, that's another debate for another day. Yeah, I don't think that'll ever happen. And one other thing on that, too, is, is that, and I, I've said this before, there's no science to tell you how much even someone who is a known user, how much of that did that impact their career? I can't tell you how many of you know, Mark McGuire's home runs may or may not have been impacted by what he used, or how many of Barry Bonds' home runs, at what point did that change things? And, and again, no one knows that either. And I think that's all part of the discussion, conversation, and I know people have very strong feelings about this. It shows up in the comments and the, mm-hmm. the posts and the emails and the, the Twitter reactions. And it's good that people have this debate. But, yeah, as you say, no one, there is no right or wrong answer. Everyone is entrusted with a vote. I think, you know, I can speak for the members of the BBWA. We all take our privilege to do this very seriously and as an honor and these are the conclusions we come up with individually yes and i'm anxious to to read all your your reasoning behind and you've given us kind of a a peek behind the curtain so to speak as to uh your voting this year and you know i i hope that at some point it becomes easier i still would love for the for the hall to give you guys some guidance um they've kind of left it up left it up to the voters they limit you to 10 um, they don't have a binary, but then there's not really guidance as to how to handle a certain era and time, uh, which is an important time in our in in baseball history. So, oh, it is, and and you know that that is one question we've had with the hall. They have uh, said they don't you know feel it's their place or they don't feel comfortable providing guidance. You know, we have heard stories and read quotes from players that the current members of the hall don't want the quote unquote steroid era players in. 
And, you know, I think that's also an individual thing. I think some are louder about that than others. I think some go along. And it's also understandable. It's an exclusive club. There is a, there is a value in exclusivity. And, you know, if you are voted into any club, you know, you may want to keep that club small because then it makes being chosen for that more of an honor. And that's understandable, too. And, and you know, I don't know that I agree with that, but I can not necessarily fault them for feeling that way. Yep. It's part of the beautiful, uh, the beauty of the sport and the beauty of the debate. It will go on. As long as people appreciate, first and foremost, it's a museum that celebrates the history of a, of a wonderful game, um, I think that's probably the most important perspective they have on this. Mark, we certainly appreciate some time. We're glad that you're back from vacation. I hope you are truly well-rested, well and uh, congrats again on a terrific honor. Uh, thanks again, Neil, and uh, look forward to seeing you soon. Uh, we'll be hanging out daily in Fort Charlotte soon enough, sooner than you think. Well, we certainly appreciate Mark Topkin's time in the podcast, and I welcome you to read his column when it is published on his Hall of Fame vote. Now, we move now to the minor league side. The Rays have announced all of their minor league coaches and also coordinators, uh, and a lot of change uh, for a number of reasons. And one of those changes uh, is Craig Albernaz moving over to become one of the minor league field coordinators. He did a bang-up job in Durham, or rather in uh, Bowling Green last year, as he won a championship as his manager. It was his second straight year winning a championship as a manager, and uh, Craig now joins us uh, to chat a little bit about that. Albie, congratulations. Thanks very much for being with us. Thanks, Neil. I appreciate it. I'm very uh, humbled and honored to be in this position. Obviously, a lot changed over the course of the offseason. Um, Bill Evers got a you know a tremendous opportunity with the Twins. I think uh, we've touched on it in previous podcasts as an organization. I think, obviously, the the loss of Jimmy Hoff um, affects his group in so many ways, um, creating you know a, a unique opportunity for you. Um, what does it mean to be in this spot? Obviously, there's some pretty big shoes to fill within the organization. Yeah, I mean, you said it. I mean, that's uh, probably the understatement of the year that I have some big shoes to fill. I mean, with the... Uh, the heartbreaking passing of Jimmy Hoff and, you know, Bill Evans. Uh, I mean, and Bill Evans going to uh, Minnesota. Um, I mean, it's two huge people and men in general to to come behind. Um, I mean, they, those two have been instrumental in my career as a player and my development as a, as a manager and, and as a player development staff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I have to set my game up. Um, with with those guys, those guys leaving the organization, um, and not to mention, you know, we've lost uh, a ton of people in our organization to go to other places. You know, with Jared Sandberg leaving to go to Seattle, we got Paul Hoover going to the big leagues. Um, we lost people in our R&D department, which is uh, nothing to be short-sighted about. Um, so we you know, us as an organization, we we all have to step up and, and uh, have those shoes to fill, and that's what happens where. We have a successful organization, and we have some great people with Eric and Heim and Mitch at the top with Jeff McLaren. Um, we all have to kind of kind of keep this thing going and rolling. Can you give me an idea, Albie, as to how both uh, Jimmy and, and Bill have influenced you uh, and how, that, you know, how, how you think they've helped prepare you for an opportunity like this? Um, just the way they go about their business. You know, obviously they, um, they were great to talk to bounce ideas off of, you know, as far as in-game managing, managing people, developing players, um, managing your staff, uh, you know, they were extremely instrumental. But also just watching them, being observant, how they go about their business. Um, even though they were, you know, older in the game, 
I mean, they had the respect and admiration of all the players, all the young players, considering that they came in and cycled through their organization, and it's how they commanded the room. Um, it, it's just the, just observing was probably the biggest uh, development for me. Um, you know, and going from being a player underneath them to a staff member, I kind of had a, a different relationship with them. And, you know, they looked out for me as a player, and then they continued to mentor me and help me out as a staff member. You were going from managing to obviously a coordinator role. Was it difficult to want to take that on because you've been so good at managing? I mean, your first your, your two years you managed in uh, Hudson Valley and Bowling Green. You've won championships the last two seasons. Yeah, you know, um, you know, with, you know, speaking of Jimmy Hoff and Bill Levy, you know, with those two guys in the field coordinator role and now MJ, you know, the way I see those three guys and view those three guys, I view them in high regard. Um, and so when Mitch reached out about this opportunity, to me it was kind of it was a no-brainer uh, to, to accept the role. You know, uh, in my short coaching career, you know, I've, I've, I wouldn't say I've done a lot, but I've done various roles. And I started off as a hitting coach for two years, um, then went to being – you know, a supporting role with Jared Sandberg and Durham as a third base coach, helping out with the catching. I mean, doing the catching and then going to managing. So uh, just trying to be diverse and trying to learn as much as I can, you know, by not, not by any means do I know everything in the game, not even close, but as long as I can keep on growing and developing plays and, and getting these guys to the big leagues, that's all that matters. You alluded to it. Uh, Michael Johns, who are MJ, as a lot of people know him, is the other field coordinator. Uh, he got his feet wet in this uh, last year. Um, how much have you guys spoken already about uh, the way you guys will work together? Obviously, you've known each other for several seasons. Yeah, I mean, our, our communication has been nonstop since I became a staff member four years ago. Um, so it's, as far as us communicating, like we've been doing that for a while now, and you know, we've been constantly communicating all the time just of how it's going to go this year and especially with all the staff moves, trying to get that settled in. And, you know, we have a bunch of programs that started up uh, last week and we're just trying to make sure how, you know, that that's all cleaned up and organized. Um, you know, MJ, like last year, he did a great job running spring training and instructs. I mean, he is going to absolutely do great in this role. Um, and I'm excited to see where he's going to go this year and how we're going to go and, and definitely be excited to work alongside him. How do you guys divide it up? Um, is Does one get more of the higher-level teams full season, the other gets the the, uh, the the shorter season teams, or do you split it up? You know, how, how do you divide up roles? Yeah, so, I mean, so MJ will be the uh, – he'll have Durham on down to Princeton, and for this year I'll, I'll have the extended group. GCL and our academy, and I'll also be helping out Tomas with the catching. Um, you know, MJ definitely being in the role last year, he's going to have a grasp of the organization. So this year it's going to be a, a learning process for me, and I'll be uh, I'll be picking his brain and constant communication with him throughout the year. Um, so it's uh, it's definitely going to be a thrill. What's the thing that you're most excited about with the new role? Um, just to have a grasp and the pulse in the whole organization. Um, you know, being a manager and a coach with with your own team, you you know you get you get enthralled. You just get you get so deep in your own guys uh, throughout the year. Now to be branching off and to see the growth 
of all of our players, all of our staff throughout the whole organization, you know, stopping in to Durham, to Montgomery, and see how these guys are progressing. Um, that's what I'm most excited about. You know, as uh, last year has any indication, you know, we have some really, really good players. And I'm definitely excited to see where these guys are going to go and, and see our staff and all of our guys in the organization develop these guys into being championship big leaguers. You know, one other thing that, that you know, is, is different is obviously the change. Um, how excited are you to get to get some guys acclimated to the race system, whether it's, you know, you've got Jeff Smith, who came over from the Twins, Morgan Ensberg, his, his manager, Quentin McCracken is back in the organization. Um, and what is the Rays way now? When, when people say the Rays way, because I think the Rays have done it very, very well in the minors, what is it about the Rays organization at the minor leagues that they do so well? I feel like first and foremost we're very diverse. I mean, we are we're, we're very we do very uh, good job of identifying our guys their strengths, developing their strengths, and and helping their weaknesses. You know, we're trying to we focus on the individual to get these guys better. You know, we uh, winning is a big part of it, but we can definitely develop guys through winning, which we did last year, and we have to keep that going. And as far as with Jeff Smith, Morgan Ensberg, these two guys coming in, they have, especially with Jeff Smith and his coaching background, um, coming from the big leagues, being with the Twins, you know, with, it's, it's unbelievable to have him as a high-A manager. And then also having Morgan Ensberg with his extended playing career in the big leagues and his, the success he had with the Astros. Um, more so, yes, we want to get him acclimated to, to us in the race, but also – to have a new voice and new ideas coming in from different organizations is huge. You know, the different different passion, different energy. You know, these guys have seen, you know, two different organizations do things, and to bring that in there, we can only learn. You know, that's one thing the Rays do. We're constantly learning. We're constantly evolving. You know, we, we have to be ahead of everybody. Um, and with Neander, Eric Neander and Hein and Mitch and, and Jeff McLaren, um, they've done a good job of letting us pave the way for that. Um, you know, not to mention, we're, we're bringing over Ivan Ochoa from, you know, who, who's played in the big leagues. He's going to be our, our coach in, in high A to be with Jeff Smith. He's another another great baseball man. You know, and we have a young guy coming over, uh, Brady North. Um, you know, he's kind of from the facility, but he's a very smart, educated, young hitting coach. And having a GCL program, you know, to be with those young guys is awesome. And then, you know, with all these movements, you have to give a, a, a young manager an opportunity like Raph, uh, Raph in Venezuela to be in GCL, who's been a coach of organization for, for a few years now. Now he gets an opportunity to manage, you know, and this kind of just breathes young passion and, and energy to everybody. Well, I'm excited for you. I'm excited for a number of guys to, to have new roles and, and opportunities to grow and continue to allow this organization to evolve. Abby, I appreciate a few minutes, and I'm sure I'm going to see you soon. Absolutely, Neil. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Well, we certainly appreciate chatting with uh, Craig Albernaz and wish him a lot of success in his new role and certainly excited for another guy who's going to have a, a terrific opportunity this year, and that's Brady Williams. He's been managing 10 years in the race system, the last five in Montgomery, and now he's moving up the rung to AAA Durham. Um, and, Brady, congratulations on the opportunity. I'm sure uh, it means a lot to you. Yeah, I appreciate it, Neil. You say 10 years, I'm like, man, it's not by quick. Uh, I- yeah, just excited for the opportunity. Um, not to hurt much, but good things about Durham. Um, obviously, uh, they've been there a long time and a lot of history there. So I'm looking forward to, to getting involved and being a part of that organization. 
And I would guess, too, just the opportunity to manage at a higher level, it's, you know, AAA can be a little bit different in terms of the fact that you've got, you know, guys who are going up and down. You get to tell guys, which is rare in AA, that they're going straight to the big leagues. Um, It's kind of a, I think, a really unique role, a difficult level to manage, but also a fun level, too. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, I mean, I've had a few guys I've got to tell uh, they're going to the big leagues, but um, obviously there's more of that going on in AAA. Um, guys are, you know, on the cusp of getting to the big leagues or guys are coming back down that maybe think they belong in the big leagues. So there's definitely challenges that come along with it. Um, but I think I'm ready. I think I'm prepared for that. Um, we have a great staff in Durham work with two of those guys, so I'm looking forward to getting going. Have you um, exchanged – Many messages between a lot of those guys because Dan Dement was with you part of the way when you were in Montgomery. Um, yeah, I'm I, talk, sure. I talk to Dan, um, you know, for the most part, at least once a week. Uh, Rick, I talked to a little bit. I had not met uh, Quentin yet, but I'm looking forward to getting to know him. And um, Scott Thurston, the, the uh, trainer, I've worked with him for think, six or seven years. And then and then BK is, is a guy I've spent a lot of time with in spring training, so. Uh, looking forward to getting to, together with these guys. And I would guess, I mean, to have two guys who have the baseball experience, too, in Quentin McCracken, who's a, a wonderfully good man, period, and Rick Knapp, who obviously has done it at all kinds of levels over the course of the, his career. I mean, it's got to be nice to be able to lean on guys like that, to have those types of experienced guys with you as you manage this level for the first time. No, for sure. And he said experience. You know, you, you can't really – Supplement that, um, even as a young man, you think you're experienced until you go through uh, the ups and downs of being a manager. You know you don't know it all, and you, know, you need help from other people, and that's how you learn a lot and, and hopefully grow. And so I'm looking forward to, like I said, getting to know those guys and, and having them uh, impact me as a manager as well. And I would assume this also gives you an opportunity to have a lot more conversations with uh, the big league coaching staff, too exchange ideas although it seems like you guys are doing more and more it doesn't matter what level a lot of things more similar to what's being done at the major league level than ever before is that fair yeah i think so i think we're trying to prepare our players so that when they do get the call up they're not it's not like a shock to them that what's going on um up there i think that's helped um through analytics and just talking to them and understand there's, there's a lot of information at the, at the highest level that the more information you can learn now uh the better you're going to be um as you move up the ladder um so just trying to incorporate that and trying to have a cohesive um transfer from AAA to the big leagues and hopefully we can prepare them the best we can there and and, and they can go up there and, and help uh kevin and the big team win i know you've done this before but it, you know how it's it's probably been a while since you have done it uh, managing a player at two different levels um how how um how different is that, and how do you kind of adjust? Because you got to make sure you're you're focusing on, hey, this is who they are now. They may have been a different player at a different level. They may have evolved in major ways. They may not have. Um, what's that like? Yeah, that's a good question, and, uh, and I think you have to go through that to learn how to handle that. Um, and then going from from A ball to Double A is obviously a different transition than than Double A to Triple A. Uh, but like you said, these men are growing every year. They're maturing. They're, they're changing. Um, and so you have to adapt to them. Um, I learned my lesson a couple of years ago, and so hopefully I'm better, better prepared for that uh, moving forward um, to where I can handle um, the different level and then maybe the, the, the year later maturity of the player and, and to move on and, and allow them to keep growing as a player. Is that probably the biggest challenge you think you'll have just, you know, kind of adjusting to the, 
to the, you know, you do have a lot more six. The Rays don't have a ton of six year free agents, but you do have those mixed in. You do have some older players, that, that aspect of it. I mean, just coming into it, I mean, my, I would say my biggest, I guess, challenge or thought it was going to be a challenge is the, is the player that's coming down from the big leagues and um, maybe he's not happy being there and then trying mm-hmm. to get to him and allow him to, to, to get back to performing well and get back to the big leagues. Um, or a player that has maybe been in AAA for five, six years who's kind of um, not feeling as good about himself and, and maybe try to get him uh, to become a better player and impact the big league team. Well, you've done it very well at a lot of different levels, and I know you're going to do well in, in Durham. I wish you a lot of success, a lot of luck, and I'm sure we're going to be talking to you plenty during the course of the year, Brady. Yeah, I appreciate it, Neil, and uh, thank you again. Well, we certainly uh, appreciate uh, Brady Williams being on our uh, latest podcast with us and wish him a lot of luck at the AAA level where he will manage the Durham Bulls. The uh, Rays organization has a couple of new managers at the full season level this year. Morgan Ensberg will be in AA with Montgomery, and the Rays are also privileged to have Jeff Smith, who was on the Twins coaching staff at the big league level this past season. He will be uh, the manager with the Charlotte Stone Crabs. And, Jeff, we certainly appreciate a few minutes. Welcome to the Rays organization. Really appreciate it. I'm uh, real excited to uh, you know, be a part of the Rays organization after a long time with the Twins and uh, always very much respected this organization and, and happy for the opportunity to join the, the, the Rays family. You know, I, I think the Rays have had respect, too, for the way the Twins have gone about their business. Um, and Rick Knapp, who I know spent many years in the Twins organization, was yep. here last year in Durham and also is going to be back with the Durham coaching staff as their pitching coach. Was he one of the guys who helped bring you over here? And if not, what kind of led to it? You know what? It was a it was kind of a situation where you know in, in the all season, obviously, um, with the change of manager up at, at our at the big league level in Minnesota with Paul uh, being let go and Rocco, who's, who's a great hire up there, a great individual. Um, you know, coaching staff changed. There, there was I still had a year on my contract up there, and it, was, it just wasn't something that worked out. So um, I had an opportunity to explore a little bit, and, and I didn't really I, I didn't explore too much, and I kind of. Uh, the Rays and, and myself kind of, you know, there was a few other options that I had out there, but the Rays and myself, uh, and Nappy's definitely, definitely an influence on that because he's one of my best friends in baseball, and you know, I, I was with him for pretty much all 22 years. It felt like he's, he's been my one of my best or better friends in baseball, for sure. And I know he lives in the Port Charlotte area, and you you still have a home about an hour away from where you're going to manage with the Charlotte Stone Crabs. Um, and I know speaking to him at the end of the year, he was up um, from AAA Durham to help out for a few days, and he raved just about the experience. I can't imagine that was uh, not a positive influence on your decision. Oh, without, without a doubt. And, and, and I think I think more than – like, Nappy has no, uh, nothing but great things to say about the organizations and, and the way they go about their business. And I think it was also for me uh, – like I said, there were some other options out there, but for me it was very – I like the comfortable feeling of, of, of talking to the front office and the comfortable feeling of feeling the coaches. I've I've known a lot of those guys a, a long time in, in the uh, in the Rays organization up and down. I mean, I played with Brady Williams. I know Morgan Innsberg from working uh, working out with him in the off season. I know Rick Knapp my entire life. I mean, Nelly Skeeter Barnes I married against Jim Morrison I managed against Mike Johns managed and you know list can go on and on. So it's almost. You know, you walk into an unfamiliar place after being with a team for a long time, but yet there's so many familiar faces, and, and 
it's uh you know after talking to Mitch, it's a very very much a, a family atmosphere of, of a team effort. So I'm a, I'm excited to be on board. And, and I would think you're you're going to get managing with uh, Charlotte. You're going to have some talented kids. I mean, the Bowling Green team was dynamic. Uh, won a championship, um, and you know you look at some of the guys who came through there. Whether it was the catcher Ronaldo Hernandez, um, or you know Taylor Walls, who was an outstanding young shortstop out of Florida State, it, it, Moises Gomez, an outfielder. I mean, there are some really, really talented kids who came through that uh, the Bowling Green team that you would think would be in the Florida State League this year. Without a doubt, you know it was kind of funny when I when I finally uh, was kind of going back and forth deciding what I was going to do. And- and finally uh, decided to, to come on board with the Rays. I was talking to Jeff McLaren, and they were, were very excited. And then he kind of told me about that team. I said, geez, Jeff, I just had, I had enough pressure of uh, just deciding what I'm going to do next year. Now you're, now you're throwing the championship team for last year on me. I said, I, I don't need new pressure already. But, no, it's, uh, it's, it's exciting. You know, I, I, I've been up there a few times up at the complex with some of the strength camps. And, you know, any time you got exciting young players uh, like that and you get an opportunity to manage and see them develop and see them uh, – you know, keep moving upwards uh, towards towards their dream. It, it, it's very fun. It, it is fun to teach kids like that. They they really soak in information, and uh, it goes a long way. For Rays fans who are not familiar with you, obviously I know you've managed and coached at a number of levels through the twin system before mm-hmm. coaching at the big league level. What do you think your strengths are um, as a manager and in terms of your expertise in terms of working with uh, working with players? Right. You know, it, it, it's for the longest time, you know, as a as Managed, managed for 13 years in the minor leagues and the two years in the big leagues. And the, the one thing I would say is a strong point of mine, too, is two things a little bit is, number one, I love to teach. And, and that's I, I love to teach this game and teach a lot of aspects. And my, my expertise for that is usually, you know, I was in charge of the catchers for a long time with the Twins and up there. But, you know, that, that's just one facet. I just I just love to teach any, any part of baseball. And, and I think the other thing is just really uh, – the relationships with the players, creating good relationships with players, and really creating an atmosphere where you know they can they the best opportunity for them to have success. Creating an environment where it's okay to fail, and try to create an environment where whatever players out there has the best opportunity to to, to be as successful as they can. And, and certainly that fits with the philosophy that goes on uh, here in this organization. Was it also meaningful to be close to home uh, because you're about an hour from Port Charlotte from where you live? No question about it. You know, it was, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of it, all, it all starts with, the, um, you know, the comfortableness that you feel with you at the front office. And, you know, if they're going to give an opportunity to do something that I love to do is coach this game and, and, and teach this game and also give me an opportunity to be by my family. That was, uh, that was, that was something, I mean, it was, wasn't even, you know, after that wasn't a contest for me for anything else. But at that point it was just, you know, when you have, I have a, I have a, you know, my wife's a principal down here in Naples. I got two boys, a sophomore and a sixth grader and be have an opportunity to do what I love, be a part of the Rays organization, but also be around them year round. That's, that's pretty special in this game. You don't get to do that very often. No, and when you think of uh, even the travel in that league, obviously the the Twins have a team in Fort Myers. There's you know some teams in there's a team in Bradenton. So there are cl- enough teams in the Florida State League that are close enough where you're not going to have to worry about travel too much, which is a good thing in terms of being able to see your kids and being able to have that family experience. Because when they're at that age, that's a fairly impressionable age. No, no, no doubt about it. And, it. and it definitely had an influence on my decision. But more, more than anything, just uh, 
you know, the, the the raise and the comfortableness and that family atmosphere and the and the commitment to uh, the commitment to staff that you feel when when you talk to them was was very important. Well, we wish you a lot of luck, a lot of success uh, with the Charlotte Stone Crabs, and certainly are excited to have you in the Rays organization. And we'll see you before you know it down in uh, spring training. I'm very much looking forward to it, and uh, please come see me anytime you want. We'll be available down there. You got it. That is Jeff Smith, again, one of the new Rays minor league manage, managers, and we certainly appreciate his time. Craig Albernaz, Brady Williams, and also Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times for being with us. We'll have other podcasts as uh, news develops on the Rays and follow the full list of Rays minor league managers, raceradio.mlblogs.com. Thanks for being with us. We'll talk to you soon.